Michigan's Children proudly presents Speaking for Kids, the podcast where we explore crucial conversations impacting the lives of all Michigan children, youth, and families, especially the most vulnerable. Join us each month as we explore public policies and issues in the best interest of our kids and families. We'll bring you lawmakers and policymakers, advocates fighting for change, and the people most affected by those decisions. With our host, Matt Gillard, President and CEO of Michigan's Children, we'll invite you to become engaged too and show you how to take action on what matters most to you. Episodes are recorded live and shared virtually on YouTube and the audio hosting sites, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Hello, and welcome back to Speaking for Kids, the podcast for Michigan's Children. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Matt Gillard, your host and the President and CEO of Michigan's Children. We're recording this month's episode on July 27th, 2022. For today's podcast, I'm happy to welcome two individuals with important perspectives on Michigan's juvenile justice system, how it works or doesn't work, and what needs to change. With us today is Jason Smith, who's the Executive Director of the Michigan Center for Youth Justice, and John Castile, a man with real-world experience as a former adjudicated youth. He's now a dad, a football coach, a recovering addict, and an advocate for reforming Michigan's juvenile justice system. Stay tuned to this podcast today as we talk about the release just last week of a new recommendations to reform the justice system for youth in Michigan and why they matter and why Jason Smith believes they will transform the juvenile justice system in Michigan. So welcome, Jason and John. Why don't you introduce yourselves briefly for our audience? Sure. Uh, thank you for having us. Um, thank you for having me, I should say. Uh, I'm Jason Smith. Uh, the, uh, I'm the executive director of the Michigan Center for Youth Justice, um, or MCYJ for short. Um, we are an organization that advocates for a fair and effective uh, juvenile justice system. Uh, and our mission is to ensure that young people who come in contact with the justice system are, are treated fairly, are protected, and are, are provided opportunities to thrive even when their uh, court supervision ends. And so I, I've been with the organization for about eight years now. Great, and John, how about you? Uh, hi, I'm John Castile. Um, as you said, a formerly adjudicated youth, um, father, football coach, recovering addict, and a member of the Juvenile Advisory Council. Um, what that is, is a group of people like me with real world experience in the juvenile justice system from um, defense attorneys to referees in Wayne County to, you know, previously adjudicated youth where we get get together once a month or so and sit down and really brainstorm and actually have our hands in the pot we step in um, when youth are going towards uh, getting diverted back out of the community we try and step in um, and divert that from happening so we can keep more youth in the community or if we can just come down to a personal level. Um, it seems to work better than, you know, meeting up with probation officers and such. Uh, so that's where I got started and they recommended me for uh, the governor's reformation task force. 
great, great. And let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, this was kind of a big deal. I've been been in and around state government for a long time, but uh, you know, I think this is important work. And let's talk a little bit about that. We'll go through kind of maybe a little background for it, and then jump into some of the different um, sections of the report itself. So, um, Jason, why don't you give us a little background on how this started? Uh, you know, who who was on the task force? Not everybody, but but who it was made up of, and how the process kind of worked for the task force to develop this set of recommendations. Yeah, sure. So um, I believe that the task force was really formed after uh, some really recent high profile events or incidents in the juvenile justice system in, in, in previous years, in the last couple of years. Um, one was a high profile case of a young girl, a 15 year old girl um, who was detained in, in the height of the pandemic when um, uh, there was an executive order to try to reduce young people in, in, the, in facilities or, or in, in confinement. Um, she was detained for violating her probation by, by not doing her homework, and that became a national or an international story. Um, and then secondly, the story of a young man who was uh, actually in the child welfare system, but was placed in a facility that also housed uh, youth with delinquency cases, um, was killed um, during an unlawful restraint. Um, I think those incidents really shone a light on a need to further examine the, the juvenile justice system as a whole. Um, and, and I also believe that uh, there were a lot of champions uh, for reform and, and, and taking a statewide look at the juvenile justice system that really spoke up after those incidents and expressed this need. Often as an advocate, for juvenile ju the juvenile justice system uh, and reform. Um, I feel that uh, unfortunately th this topic and this system specifically uh, hasn't historically got uh, received the, the attention it deserved in, in contrast to uh, the adult criminal justice system or the child welfare system even, or the educational system, um, which all of those uh, systems uh, deserve uh, the attention it receives too. But I, I believe that young people who get into trouble, um, they deserve as much resources, as much support as um, other populations. And so we're excited. Uh, we were excited when the governor established this task force and it was comprised um, of, of diverse stakeholders, uh, a lot of uh, juvenile court professionals, judges, uh, court administrators, um, prosecutors and defense attorneys, um, but also advocates like myself and um, people with direct lived experiences like John, um, represent representatives from uh, the tribal courts and, and state government, legislators, uh, both, I mean, bipartisan. Um, and so, Collectively, we looked at a range of topics uh, throughout the juvenile justice system. Um, the diversion, um, the court processing, including uh, juvenile defense, uh, the use of out-of-home placement, um, the, the way that the funding structures work in the juvenile justice system, all through work groups heavily uh, discussed and, and, and strongly debated many topics. Um, I believe that uh, the Council for State Governments or CSG who served as the facilitating uh, agency for the task force did an excellent job of doing a statewide assessment and presenting the findings or the problem statements to this group in a way that folks who, are, who may be uh, lay people uh, to the issue of juvenile justice even can, 
can contribute to, to the conversation. And um, what you saw, those recommendations, they just were well thought out, well discussed, and, and hopefully will bring a significant change uh, to the juvenile justice system. Great, great. And we'll jump into, a, like I said, a little bit more detail into some of those sections in a minute. But John, from your perspective, what was it like working with such a diverse group um, of, of, I'm sure, strong-minded individuals and ultimately with a goal of having to come to a conclusion and putting out a report like this? Yeah, definitely for me, it was it was a brand new experience. Um, you know, I've done, uh, you know, I was on the other end of this my whole entire life, you know, uh, I grew up in foster care in and out of uh, CPS custody. Uh, by the time I was 13, I had had plenty of run ins with lawyers and judges and uh, officers. So uh, it, it was just an amazing experience to be able to tell my story from this side of the tracks, you know, um, I'm a totally different person now, thanks to this system, you know, but did I think that as I was going through it? No, uh, not at all. You know, I can see the beauty and the pain, but I had to go through that pain first. Um, you know, I like how Jason talks about, you know, the, the stakeholders and, you know, the responsibilities that everybody can have, you know, everybody can play a part. You know, there's that saying, it takes a village and it, it really does, you know, the, the word responsibility is the ability to respond. If you can, you should. Um, and, you know, that's why I'm here because, you know, I'll tell a story uh, about a father and a son sitting down at breakfast, um, eating ham and eggs. And the son asked about contribution and sacrifice. And the father looked at the eggs and said that chicken made a contribution and then looked at the ham and said that pig made a sacrifice. And that's why I'm here is because I'm willing to sacrifice. I, I have a dog in this fight. You know, I'm, I'm a real stakeholder. You know, this is my life. You know, I have two boys and just because I'm their dad, um, they're at risk. Um, so I, 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 have a, I have a dog in this fight and I'm, I'm willing to fight. That's great. Good for you. Good for you. And thank you for that. So let's dig in a little deeper on some of these sections you alluded to, Jason. So, so one, the first we'll ta start with is kind of the diversion section. And one of the things that stood out with us, um, you know, with Michigan's children when we looked at the report was really the focus on, on minimum age of court jurisdiction. Uh, and, and so, you know, that's, that's something that is, can be a hotly divided political topic, right? And so, so where do we rank right now with comparison to other states? What would the recommendations move us to? Uh, and, and what are your thoughts on that, that piece of the report? Sure. So um, I, I was actually a, a member of the diversion work group. Um, and uh, so of all of the topics, uh, that was the one that I specifically weighed in the most. In. And it's actually, uh, as an advocate, the one that I, I, I'm the most passionate about is finding ways that young people can have their, address, their needs addressed be held accountable if, if they make a mistake or, or harm someone, repair the harm to a victim, but do so in a way, if possible, without formal court involvement. So I was really excited to participate in those conversations. And so, you know, setting a minimum age uh, of juvenile court jurisdiction, it, it's, it's an important topic. Right now, there's a, a, about half of the states in, in the U.S. have some sort of 
uh, minimum age of juvenile jurisdiction of floor. And uh, it varies from state to state, um, some as low as six, uh, some looking as high as, as 14, and which is uh, generally argued by a range of, of national organizations. And so uh, the, 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 the diversion work group and, and all the other work groups who weighed in on this issue, uh, which they did through competency, for example, to stand trial, and, um, uh, really settled on 13 as that age. Um, the argument uh, that was given was that it's 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 middle school um, young. Uh, even even though they're still young, um, they have a, a bit more agency and autonomy over their actions than let's say a 10 or 11 or 12 years old. Um, and an important thing to to highlight with this and a lot of the recommendations is. Um, our system, because uh, the juvenile justice system in Michigan is decentralized, you you already have counties that are implementing a lot of the, these recommendations, including uh, setting their own minimum age. Um, in, in my work group, for example, a, um, a, a truancy officer who, who spoke up and said in her community, uh, they already do not set um, uh, accept petitions for kids under the age of 12, you know? And so one of the things that I'm really passionate about and brought to the, the task force as a goal is to try to address this issue of justice by geography, where a young person's experience with the justice system varies greatly simply by where they live. And the only way that you can do that and um, hopefully address things like racial disparities in the system is by placing standards. And so, um, that's where the, the, the committee landed. Um, that was one of the, the votes um, on the recommendations that was not unanimous. And I think that it, it was partially because of concerns around um, if we set that age at 13, there, there was some, some folks who didn't feel comfortable with um, what the, the, the current recommendations had for uh, exceptions uh, for offenses and, and wanted to see that broadened. Um, there was also concerns, um, which exist now even with, with co competency uh, findings, um, no matter what the age really, is if that kid is still determined to have needs, how they're addressed. Um, the solution proposed uh, in the recommendations for that, but then also for diversion in general and, and other opportunities, is to refer those young people to probation services so they would still have access to treatment and services, but without court supervision. And, and um, the recommendations also would change the, the funding structure of the child care fund, which is the primary funding source for the juvenile courts, to be able to uh, allow young people who weren't under court supervision to have access. So as someone who believes that young people um, very young kids, uh, their needs and their issues could be more uh, effectively addressed outside of the court system, through schools, through, through the child welfare system if necessary, or community mental health. Setting a minimum age um, not only uh, sets the parameters of juvenile court jurisdiction, but it also opens the door to those old, other institutions doing some self-reflection on how they can be more innovative and creative to serve these kids effectively without court intervention. That's one of the things I'm really excited about with diversion broadly, not just keeping kids out of the, the court system, but transforming these other institutions as well 
so that they can provide uh, the same services without legal system involvement. Absolutely. And we'll get to that super important discussion about uh, systems change and funding ultimately here in a minute. But, but John, as, uh, as, as parents of fourth graders, I know from talking before the podcast here, we can certainly relate, I'm sure, to, to Jason's discussion of uh, uh, 10-year-olds' uh, inability to control their actions as, man, as much as uh, older kids. Yeah, yeah, definitely, for sure. Um, I mean, I just think of myself at 13, um, 10, 11, 12, and then you add whatever's going on at home, um, you know, whatever past traumas. And then, yeah, I mean, the brain development of a 13 year old that's been through so much is, is, it's rattling. Um, you know, I, I since getting involved with growth works have had the honor of going through a couple of trauma certification classes and just how much I've learned about myself is, is amazing. Um, you know, instincts, that's that's what these kids are acting on um Absolutely. and you know when they when they go to court they're they they hear they have no idea what they're hearing they have nobody walking with them through if they show up because i know what it's like to be a kid showing up to court alone and your stomach's on the floor um and that's why i think we're we're working for um at the juvenile advisory council is getting court liaisons for certain kids who could use somebody like me at court with them and saying, this is what's going on. Because, you know, sometimes you really got to break it down. And like Jason was saying, you know, you got to be specific and caring and kind if, you know, every, every chance you get, you know, that's, that, that's what changed my life is those people who actually invested into the change. Yeah. No, I Go ahead, Jason. One more thing, Matt, is, is you know, one of the, the, the fundamental questions that the task force uh, wrestled with throughout uh, the last year of, of meetings or however long it's been um, was, you know, should the, the legal system be the, the default service provider for kids who have needs or should it be focused on kids for whom the, the, there's a public safety risk or, or a true risk to their own safety? Um, and, and I think that that really guided the discussions, um, at least, especially, I should say, in the diversion work group, is can we figure out solutions, for, again, for addressing kids' needs outside of the legal system um, so that we're really focusing on kids that are high risk, um, maybe high need too, but specifically high risk uh, to commit future offenses or, or public safety concerns? That's what the, the, the legal system should be focused on. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. <clears throat> and I'm glad that that I'm glad that that was a driving piece of the conversation for everyone involved. That's great. So let's jump in quick to the next section here. And this one is one of the ones that probably maybe the most excited and more most more exciting for for us as advocates as well that that support this is the elimination of the, the fines and fees. So, Jason, why don't you toot your own hair, horn a little bit here, your organization's horn, and maybe talk a little bit how we got to this point and what the actual recommendations are. Sure, so uh, this issue has been a priority for the Michigan Center for Youth Justice for uh, several years now, and, and not just us, but a, a range of our partners, including uh, support from Michigan children as well. But we have heard from families across the state um, that have been impacted by juvenile court fees. 
Um, we've heard stories of, of young people and their families who have been charged six figures, um, hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, for uh, reimbursement to the courts or to, uh, for the cost of out-of-home placement. When again, you know, it, it varies county by county how, how detention or placement is even used and at the discretion of a prosecutor or a judge if whether or not a young person even has to be in facilities. We've heard about the impact that it has on the relationship between the court uh, professionals, juvenile probation officers and their families and um, how it erodes trust. Uh, between those parties when when the whole goal and and the reason why the juvenile justice system is is different than the adult system it's it's supposed to be much more collaborative and it takes away the focus from treatment and so um we've been advocating for the legislature to act on uh this reform eliminating fines and fees again this is a justice by geography issue there's some courts who already do not uh charge families uh, fees, which could be a range of things. It could be out of home care, it could be probation fees, drug testing, et cetera, um, to, to at least place that standard that um, you can hold a young person accountable. Um, you can have them be engaged without uh, placing financial burden on their family. So um, to have that be a recommendation and voted out unanimously by judges by prosecutors, by the, the state attorney general, et cetera, uh, a Supreme Court justice. Um, I hope that that, that leads to um, action in the legislature on this issue. But it, it, it was something that we were really excited about, that it made it to the finish line as a recommendation and that it was supported as widely as it is. And that, that shows that we have a lot of people who wanna do the right thing by families and that you don't have to sacrifice treatment and accountability to to get rid of harm yeah that's great and john i imagine you could you could share some insights or tell some stories about folks that you've worked with or personally about how the fines and fees have impacted the the, the challenges that you face yeah i mean once the load is so heavy you know what can you do um you know, that's a, that's a, that's a financial reason, not criminal, you know, it's not, not a crime to be poor and young. Um, you know, yeah. mercy is, is so important, you know, that, that, that's the only reason I'm here. Um, and I think <clears throat> when there's no, when there's no, when there's no accountability at home and there's no fundamental foundation, you know, it's, you can't, you can't, you can't do anything when your house is built in the sand. Um, I could, I, I couldn't even imagine if I was ordered to pay restitution, you know, as a, as a kid, I just, what you, you take the time, everybody I know, I, I don't know anybody personally who has paid restitution. You take the time every single time. You never, yeah. you never. So it's like, it's not even, um, it's not even an option because you don't have the money. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's not solving the problems we're trying to solve, right? Yeah, yeah. and it, it affects generations. It's not, you know, it's not, it's it's not just about right now. It it affect, you know, cause and effect. And and I want to be clear that the recommendation uh it, it it's it does not include restitution. Um it it's still now there is a recommendation that would uh prevent courts from continuing 
uh, court supervision if a kid has you know successfully completed treatment, done everything under the sun in their court orders uh, by staying on probation um, for, to to uh, pay back restitution, which you know like as John was saying, like it's I mean that some families just they simply can't, and so you'd be on court supervision forever. Um, but it, it it's really targeted at, at harmful court fees that that does not repair any harm to a victim does not replace any kind of property damage or anything like that it's just money that goes to either the county or the state yeah. and um and and in fact even if a young person had the ability to to pay back restitution they're prevented from doing so because of these harmful harmful fees yeah and this leads into what i really want to get to next which is a big part of the big chunk of the report that focuses on the supports and services that are needed and uh, in, in in how we're gonna pay for those, right? And so a, a part of that is out-of-home placement. You guys have mentioned out-of-home placement uh, a few times here. And really the, the report, I think does a good job of a focusing on how we need to expand mental health services, community-based programs and other services supports for kids in out-of-home placements so that it's not just simply a punishment, right? It's a, it's a, it's a rehabilitation program um, and, and kids are getting the supports and services that they need. And I think, you know, similar to that is the, the section that talks about overall funding changes to the child care fund, as you referenced earlier, uh, Jason. And I mean, uh, one of the exciting things for somebody who lives inside this bubble and in the baseball game here that we're playing with the legislature and the governor, I was in Lansing, is that the timing for this couldn't be better, right? The state is literally sitting on $7 billion right now. I mean, that's, I've been around Lansing and in state government, and state politics for a long time. We've never been in this situation. So this is exactly the time to be having these conversations. I'm excited about the report coming out now as it did. So talk a little bit about that, about how the, you know, I think a big strength of the report is how it really does focus on, on the need to, for the state to really step up and fund the types of programs that, uh, that kids need. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you hundred percent that legislators should feel okay with, with investing in youth, you know, just like we, we, uh, we support and, and, and applaud uh, when folks champion expanding uh, the budget for educational uh, purposes. Uh, the, the same thing should be true for youth who are in um, the juvenile justice system, the child welfare system too. But um, some of these recommendations expanding um, uh, the Michigan Indigent Defense Commission to incorporate standards around juvenile defense and training. Um, it, changing the child care fund to incentivize community-based care. So right now, whether um, a, a court is utilizing community-based care or out-of-home care, uh, the state is reimbursing those eligible expenses back at 50%. We have long advocated that uh, community-based care should be, uh, the reimbursement rate should be increased. And, and actually years ago, I advocated for 75%, which was the recommendation that ultimately uh, was voted on. Um, kids can be can be served in a more effective, both outcome-wise and cost-effective way um, if they're served in the community. You can serve 10 kids in an effective evidence-based uh, programming um, in the community for the price of serving one in, um, in an out of outdated residential facility model. Um, so we're, we're really excited about that. 
the the state wins at re, in, at reimbursing at their rate they're going to be saving dollars um and, and the, the the courts and counties will be saving as well and may be able to uh use those savings to even further expand their community-based care other states that have done similar uh, actions, uh, really incentivizing community-based care, they've seen huge reductions in their use of out-of-home placement and, and better outcomes for kids. Again, investing in kids is, is a good thing. And we've had this debate, I remember, during uh, the conversations about Raise the Age years ago, that you know it, it may be a cost up front. I'm glad that now... Um, we have the opportunity in the state to, to have these conversations, but in the long term, you're you're going to see reductions in, in costs of care, uh, incarcerating youth, hopefully reductions in racial disparities around future arrests and, and adult system involvement, all because we're recommitting to, to treating kids like kids and letting them uh, address their needs, get their treatment while staying home with their families and staying in their community schools. That's great. And one of the things that's important for listeners to understand is, so this is a task force that has put out recommendations. These recommendations in large part now need to be acted on by the legislature and by the governor moving forward. And so uh, stay tuned to the, the work we do at, at Michigan's Children, to the work that Jason and others do at, at, at MCYJ and other advocates. Uh, and we'll be keeping to, to keep people focused on these issues when the opportunities arise for us to get these enacted. The, one, the last kind of section in here that I want to jump on um, for the purposes of this, there, there was a lot of focus on equity and youth voice. Uh, and you talked, Jason, about, about the, you know, the differences in geography right here in Michigan, even between the systems. Um, but really, and one of the things that Michigan's children, we've been really focused on since our inception 30 years ago, is bringing youth voice to a lot of these issues. And so, John, from your perspective, how, what can we do? Uh, to keep young people engaged and to keep people like yourself who have direct experience in this engaged and keep driving these solutions moving forward um, so that, you know, we that's where we ultimately get to the best outcomes. That's what we as advocates know. When we get the people most impacted or most affected with the issues, talking about the solutions, we get better outcomes. Yep. I think you hit it right on the head right there, talking about the solutions. When you get two people together and you can talk about a solution, um, but I think it starts with a change of heart, um, especially for, you know, uh, a hurt kid, um, you know, hurt people, hurt people. That's what they say. Um, but I've seen hurt people heal people, you know, look at the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, the only cure for alcoholism is another alcoholic and a 12 step program. So, uh, you know, I, I do believe, you know, investing in the future, you know, it, 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 there's like I said earlier about the sacrifice and the contribution. There's no price too large for the future, you know, of this country. You know, that's what that's what we're talking about. You know, um, and it's just it's it's just been such a such a blessing to to be here and have a chance to do this. Well, thank you so much, Jason. John, either of you anything else you want to add before we close out today's conversation? Yeah, I just, I mean, echo uh, John's point, uh, and, and I think it's so important to have young people um, who were impacted by the system and their families. There were great listening sessions that uh, CSG uh, put on uh, during the task force and let members hear directly from families. We always try to do that um, in our advocacy work, lift up the stories of the people who are directly impacted by it. 
Um, there's a recommendation to set up an advisory council of uh, current and formerly impacted youth to, to help be a part of the policy discussions. The way that we, we really uh, are going to be able to move uh, these policies into uh, implement, implementation form, um, into legislation, is we, we've got to uh, bring the people who are directly impacted to the table to share their experiences. That, that That's exciting to me, but Broadly, just I'm 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 really excited about all of these recommendations. We have an opportunity here to transform the juvenile justice system into one that is less punitive, focused on healing, focused on restoration and re rehabilitation. And we're going to do all we can to to see that all of these recommendations, all 32, um, are are implemented uh, to full effect. And Miss well, Michigan's children will be right there with you. Well, thanks well, both of you guys. We're gonna have to leave it there for today. Much thanks to Jason and John, both for being here today with us, but for the work that you did on this important work as well, this important task force. And thank you to our listeners. Uh, we'll have links to some of the resources that we talked about today on our website, michiganschildren.org. Look under the Speaking for Kids podcast page under resources. Thanks again for being here. Please download the app for Speaking for Kids if you haven't done so yet so you can catch other monthly conversations of interest to you and Michigan children, youth, and families. You've been listening to Speaking for Kids, the podcast for Michigan's children with host Matt Gillard. Thanks for joining us. To explore these and other issues relevant to our state's children, youth, and families, and to build your advocacy muscle, go to our website at www.michiganschildren.org. You'll find links and news about past and future podcast topics under our resource tab and action alerts under the Take Action tab. Find and like us on Facebook and Twitter. Terry Bannis and Stephen Wallace produced this podcast. Contact them with your questions and ideas for other topics. Michigan's Children is a nonprofit advocacy organization, an independent voice working to reduce disparities in child outcomes from cradle to career through policy change.